Interviewing was easy. Getting guests, no problem. I think the just technical part of launching and all the little things you have to do, I was a little blown away by the details of it. The editing audio, that was a little challenging for me. And then also letting go. Like you were really good at coaching me to just like put it out there, even if it wasn't perfect. And for so many years, I'd been such a perfectionist. And that was part of why I started a podcast. I'm like, hey, if I have to put out a show every single week, I have to let go of being perfect because it's not going to be perfect. And I have to be okay to fail. Like some shows are going to suck and that's okay. Podcast Junkies, episode 252. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to the podcast, it's the one where we talk to interesting voices in podcasting and learn about what makes them kick, the inspiration for starting the shows, and wherever the conversation leads us. Last week was a meandering and really interesting conversation with Dustin Miller, host of the Polymath Polycast. Dustin is a fascinating individual, and we took a couple of different rabbit holes on that podcast. I'd be interested to see and hear what your feedback was from that episode. This week, I have a friend of the show, Shelby Stanger. She's a journalist, an adventurer, and a podcast creator, and she joins us this week to talk about her background in journalism, her passion for surfing, and how she initially got involved in podcasting. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Shelby and I worked together on the launch of her award-winning show, Wild Ideas Worth Living, which was eventually sold to REI, and she remains as a host as of uh, January of this year. Currently, she's advising major brands and individuals on how to start and grow and monetize their own podcasts and has a brand new show, Vitamin Joy, where she discusses the topics of health and humor and good living. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 252. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. This episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. If you're looking for help as a business with your podcast, we offer done-for-you services, coaching and consulting with our done-with-you services. And now we also have the Ultimate Podcast Dojo available. It's a new course and community designed to help you start your own podcast. Additional details at fullcast.co forward slash dojo, D-O-J-O. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. If you don't know what that is, it's a hashtag you can share on Twitter, but I'll only share it to people who listen to the entire episode. (laughs) So check that out. Let's get surfing with Shelby. Shelby Stanger, long time overdue. Thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Harry, I'm so honored to be on your (laughs) podcast because you're the one who got me into podcasting. You helped launch this whole career. (laughs) It got you down this path and uh, little did I know what was going to get started when we started working together. Well, I'm really grateful for all of your advice and input and podcasting has brought me so much joy. It's brought me a job and I've met just so many incredible people like not only my guests, but listeners. It's been so amazing. Thank you. 
I think I would, my first question, and sometimes because this is audio only, the listener doesn't get to see what I'm seeing, but I count nine surfboards behind you. Is <laughs> nine or ten, yeah, I don't know. We don't have art, in, in, and you know, our surfboards are in basically our dining room, sort of like yeah. college dorm style, but we live in a condo yeah. that's on the beach. Literally, we have cliffs that, uh, stairs that go down to the beach. It's falling apart. It was like, built in the 60s, but hey. Is it the same one that... Uh, same that one you came over, yeah. Oh, we awesome. haven't left. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So we have a lot of surfboards. We don't have a lot of other things, but we have a lot of surfboards. Did you surf today? I did it because it rained and you're not supposed to surf after it rains. Okay. But we surfed pretty much every day, twice a day wow. for the last three weeks and my arms can't move. So I was very grateful for the rain. <laughs> California's had the best run of surf we've probably ever had. You know, everybody says El Nino years are the best, yeah, yeah, yeah. but turns out La Nina produces not only good surf, but less rain. Okay. wind so except for the last couple of days but we got really just ideal it was like all of us have been through hell and we're in like massive quarantine in california but this yeah. has been a gift from nature good waves what's the time frame or what's the frequency of la nina i have no idea it's <laughs> a good question i don't know well, like some, a year, some, a year maybe it? i don't yeah. know where we're supposed curious. to get like a year of good waves and it brings colder water but We've mm. had really great waves, and I could be making this up. I'm not a meteorologist, but that's what I'm reading. Well, everyone becomes a virologist after the pandemic, that's right? True. Well, I heard that you can get infected by like sneezing in wind or something. Like, it's just like we all think like we're scientists now. So. We're in wild times. I'm actually not going to claim scientist or mathematician, but I will claim podcaster now. Yeah. One last question about surfing. Do you remember how old you were and where you were when you hit, first surfed? Yeah, I was nine years old in Waikiki, Hawaii, oh. and a guy on a big longboard pushed me into my first wave, and I have a picture of it, and I'm like standing up like Gidget, wow. like feet first. You're supposed to stand sideways, but I was standing feet first because the guy next to me was on basically a precursor to a stand-up paddleboard. He was standing on a big surfboard with a paddle and a Kodak camera to take pictures, yeah. and he was standing forward. So I was watching him, and so I stood forward, and just the biggest grin ever and I have a picture of it. Waikiki is a great place to learn to surf. My grandma lived there when I was a little kid. Yeah. She uh was, you know, eighty years old. Bikini, lying out by the beach, my tie in one hand, cigarette in the other, a man twenty years younger by her side. She was pretty wild, awesome grandma. <laughs> and she got me surf lessons. Seems like you inherited something else from her as yeah. well. <laughs> she was pretty awesome. Yeah, my girlfriend lived in Hawaii for six years. She went to college there. So Good for her. University yeah, so. of Hawaii? Yeah. So that's a, one of the options, as depending how crazy things get this year and next year. So Do it. Move to Hawaii. When you got on that board, did you immediately know like this was for you or did it take a while? Or I wanted to be a surfer ever since I was a little kid, but girls didn't really surf. Like I yeah. lived in a town called Cardiff by the Sea. My parents were from, my dad was from Brooklyn, New York. He was a dentist. My mom was a professor and from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So they kind of didn't get it, but they took me to the beach and I went boogie boarding and I was a soccer player. So I was a really okay. good athlete, just okay. naturally. I had a lot of energy. And so they put me into sports and soccer was what women did, young girls. So I was yeah. a soccer player. And um, my dad passed away suddenly of a heart attack when I was 11. And he wow. just agreed to take me to the beach every Sunday so I could boogie board, but I wanted a surfboard. And so that yeah. summer, my sister got me a surfboard for my birthday and I started surfing. And I went to a surf camp and I 
learn to surf at surf camp. And it was Where great. was that at? It was in San Diego. It was called Mission Bay Aquatic Center. And every morning okay. you could either take surfing, water skiing, sailing, or kayaking. And then in the afternoon you did all those sports. And there was all, I had really good looking guy instructors. And then one <laughs> week I had this woman who was an instructor. Yeah. She was good looking and funny and all the guys liked her. Yeah. And she happened to teach Princeton Review SAT classes. Oh, she wow. spoke fluent French and Spanish. So my mom loved her. So she became my babysitter. Years later, my mom remarried. This great guy moved to a house with a studio off the back in San Diego. And um, that woman moved in with us. Oh. She's now my best friend. And she wow. started Surf Diva, which is the first original all-girls surf school in the world. And she was my first surf instructor. I mean, besides the guy in Hawaii. What's interesting, I don't know, in terms of the timing there, because this is, I mean, now it just obviously you see strong women, powerful yeah. women, like you just you see them more and more. But at that time, it must have been inspiring for you to have a role model like that, to see someone like that. Yeah, it was awesome. Like I just, yeah, I think, you know, this whole, there's this big movement of representation and how it matters. And like, I think I didn't even understand it. But if I think about surfing, like there was no one, you know, when you see someone who looks like you, who does it, mm. you feel like you can do it. Even this last couple of weeks, the surf was really big. And there's a lot of women who surf in San Diego. Yeah. When the surf gets bigger, you see less of them. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not charging. There's girls who charge way harder than me at a lot of surf breaks. But yeah. the particular break in front of my house, I didn't see a lot of women. And I was just terrified. And then one day I saw another girl and I was like, okay, I can do this. Mm. It's wild how, how it works like that. But it's nice to see people who look like you do the things you want to do. Yeah. What's the biggest wave you've ever surfed? Oh, maybe just like a little bit over, I mean, maybe double overhead. Okay. I do not like big waves. I'm actually <laughs> trying to find a hypnotist coach who can teach me oh, yeah. how to surf big waves or at least not be afraid of big waves. Mm. I don't know why I have fear. I think, you know, fear, a lot of fear is just the unknown, right? And if you don't have yes. a lot of practice doing something, it's daunting. At the same time, I've never seen women surf waves as big as they are surfing right now in this moment in history. It's, it's incredible to see. I just don't have that. In, I'm 40 now. So I also like don't have that same <laughs> desire like I did when I was 29. Yeah. And a frother. What's the most exotic or most beautiful place you've ever surfed? When I was 29, I was working at Vans, running international sales and marketing. Great job. And I just wanted to be a writer. I wanted to quit. It made no sense on paper. Long story short, I started putting the balls in motion. And mm -hmm. I started reaching out to different magazines, pitching stories, also telling PR people, hey, I'm thinking about quitting my job. If you ever need stories written, like I'm your girl. And uh, the day, it's a long story, but the day, I, I mean, I fought depression, all sorts of things. Quitting mm -hmm. made no sense on paper. I had a great job. And being a writer at the height of the recession wasn't an ideal decision money-wise. Yeah. But I knew I, I had been a writer as a kid and went to journalism school, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the day I decided to quit my job, I got invited to surf this place called the Mentawise, which is an archipelago of islands off of Indonesia. Wow. And I was going to cover a group of 10 guys surfing or stand-up paddling these undersurfed really big waves in the middle of the ocean and i thought i was just going to go and be the journalist and cover them because i'd been working in an office for a couple of years i hadn't yeah. been surfing but you know by day three of sitting on a boat you eventually want to jump in and not get seasick and so i surfed the most exotic beautiful wow. waves ever and i was the only girl on the boat there's 10 guys they're all a bit older than me minus the boat captain and one of the guys on the trip. So it was it was a wild adventure of a lifetime. And I'd interview, and I, I ended up getting what, what they call 
well, a glimpse of my first barrel, meaning the mm. wave kind of break broke and sort of went over my head for like a nanosecond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some would claim it wasn't a full barrel, but whatever, I'm claiming it. Let's call it a full barrel here. Yeah. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> it wasn't like a full barrel, but it was like a cover up, right? Yeah. You just see this this pool of crystal water over your head and it's you know, I'd interview this guy later who's a big wave surfer and he was older, he was about 80 and he said, you know, surfing literally can change you. He said, I remember surfing a wave in Indonesia and I came out of the barrel 20 years younger and he literally felt his like cells change. And I believe it. After that wave, I just had all this confidence. You know, I just quit my job. I had a lot to prove. I wanted to be an adventure writer for magazines like Outside and ESPN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did as a freelancer, but... You know, I had a lot to prove. And in that wave, that one wave going inside like a tiny little cover up really changed me. It's amazing. Surfing can do that for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm just getting chills the way you're describing it. Like <laughs> that moment, it feels like probably everything like slows down as well, right? Everything slows down and all you see is like crystal water around you and you're, you're inside basically a waterfall. It'd be like yeah, yeah, what yeah. it feels like to go inside of a waterfall. And there's this scientist named Vincent Wu who I've been trying to find and cannot find him. But he proves that like, you know, when water hits each other, it creates negative ions, which mm. I don't really understand this, but it, it creates like, it's good for you. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like why people walk barefoot on the sand. There's yeah, like grounding. Yeah, yeah, grounding. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I have this theory in my head, it's not based on science once again, that, you know, getting barreled is like one of the best things you can do because there's all this negative ionic charge around you. Yeah, or just being in the ocean and yeah. just grounding with nature, I think is totally. so important. I think people lose sight of that, especially people that live in the city and, and forget what that's like and the importance of doing that on a daily basis. Yeah, it's true. Where did the, the writing bug come from? Oh, I think I think that you know it also happened after I'd always been a writer just as a little kid. Okay. Everybody told me, "Hey, you're good at writing. You should be a journalist." But I think after my dad died, you know, there was two things that helped me really process it. He died suddenly of a heart attack when I was 11, mm-hmm. and I think in writing, I learned, I started journaling, and okay. that helped me identify my thoughts and make some sort of sense out of what I couldn't. And I think the ocean also helped me because in the ocean. I found answers that I could never find mm. on, with a pen and paper. Wow. You know, and you, you had to be in nature, you had to sit still. Those were things that I weren't very, I wasn't very good at sitting still. I'm still not the best at it. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's something really powerful about being in nature with animals like dolphins. And, yeah. And it's unexpected, right? You have no control in the water. You know, waves come. And I think the grieving process, so when I lost my dad, you know, the grieving process, I feel like, comes in waves. It comes and goes. You're angry one minute, you're mm-hmm. sad the next, you're happy and remembering what a great human mm-hmm. or your parent was. I was young, but I was pretty mature as an 11-year-old. I would say like my maturity yeah. slowed after that. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, writing, I had the bug really early. And then when I was 15, I remember I was in high school, I went to public high school, and the teacher said, hey, there's an essay contest for the San Diego Union Tribune. If you guys enter mm-hmm. it, I'll give you extra credit if you get an, if you win, you'll get an automatic A. And I was like, I'm entering. <laughs> and I won. And I got, oh. my teacher got a $100 gift card to Nordstrom's. I got a $100 check, which is funny because you don't really get paid that much in journalism still today. I'm like, oh, that's about pretty much what I still get when I write an article <laughs> for a magazine. 
you get a little more than that. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, I just I just gave me the confidence to be a writer. And then the next year, my sister was living in Washington, D.C., and she was mm-hmm. doing an internship there. And she met these women who started a magazine for buying about youth. And they mm-hmm. needed a youth reporter on the West Coast. So I got the job and I wrote about, my mom was a professor at San Diego State, and I okay. interviewed one of her students who was date raped. And then I wrote about a family member's personal battle with alcoholism and what Hmm. it was like growing up in an alcoholic family. And kids wrote in and they were like, your story really affected me. One of my soccer teammates came up to me and said, hey, my boyfriend read your article and he's gonna go get help for alcoholism. And I I I was 16 years old. So I was like, hey, stories are powerful. They can be cathartic. They can make a difference in someone's life. You have no idea who's listening your story so with podcasting you have no idea who is listening and who might be affected by something you say with writing that's how i felt you know and then when i found podcasting i'm like oh this is so much easier than (laughs) writing you don't have to write you can just talk yeah yeah. where did you did were you listening to them at the time or how did you hear about them what where'd that start well there was no podcasting when i was 16 so like i i followed the writing career pretty hardcore i went to journalism school i had a adventure surfing column in my local newspapers when i was in college i worked at cnn as an intern i worked for a newspaper in south africa Mm. like i was hardcore journalism i'm gonna be like barbara walters but on paper. Did you travel to South Africa? I did. I went wow. spent a summer there nice. when I was 19. Nice. Really not much longer after apartheid had ended. It was a pretty wild time. It was 99. Yeah. And I wrote about surfing and sports because I knew I would have to cover racism yeah. and AIDS and crime and everything else. And I just needed to do it through a lens I understood the world, which was sports. So yeah, yeah. it was a pretty incredible experience. So podcasting, I didn't start listening to podcasts until way after I quit my job, maybe 2014, 15, mm-hmm. 16. Yeah. And I really liked Tim Ferriss's show. Like yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. great, but I was like, ah, oh, I wish he interviewed more girls. And I wish he'd talk about adventure because tech is great, but I'm yeah. not that interested in tech. Like a little bit, but it doesn't really get me out of bed. Stories about surfers and adventurers do. And all these people were like, you should start a podcast. You have all this marketing experience, you have journalism experience. And I took a strength finder test. I was kind of in between jobs. So I'd been a freelance journalist. So I'd worked at Vans until 2009 in different capacities in marketing and sales. In 2009, I quit my job to be a freelance journalist, lived in New Zealand, lived in Costa Rica, taught surfing at Surf Diva in Costa Rica, Mm -hmm. met my husband. We moved to New Zealand and on the side, I was a business reporter for action sports industry. So I wrote about the businesses and the CEOs behind a lot of these brands like Patagonia, The North Face, Quicksilver, you name it. Yeah. And I was freelancing for outside ESPN. I took a couple in-house marketing jobs. I just was like, okay, I'm sick of writing. So I did this one story about Wim Hof, the guy who oh, yeah. is the breath guru. Yeah, yeah. And it was early on. It was like before people knew him. And a magazine, an outdoor magazine, whose name I'm not going to name, but you can guess, <laughs> edited it to make him sound kind of like a charlatan. And I'm like, this guy was so awesome. Oh, wow. And whatever. I mean, they they just made a big deal out of him getting money for what he does. And that's not how I wrote the story. So I was kind of bummed. And I was like, you know, in a podcast, the whole interview would exist in its full form. And people would always ask me like, hey, what was it like interviewing so-and-so? And And I just wanted to give them my transcript, right? Because our conversation was so rich. And that's what a podcast is. It's just the interview, which was my favorite part of journalism and the part I think I excelled at the best. So around 2015, 16, 
I started really this idea of the podcast started brewing in the back of my mind and no one was really doing it in action and outdoor sports. At least no one was doing it in action sports and no one had a podcast about the outdoors and action sports that catered to men and women. And I thought I'd have a podcast that only women would listen to, but it turns out when I started Wild Ideas Worth Living, just as many men listened as women. In fact, more men listened than women, which was really cool. And I never played the girl card. So yeah, to answer your question, it was around... 2016, I had this idea. And when I had the idea to start a podcast, I was like, listen, I I have marketing experience. I have journalism experience. What I don't have is editing experience. And I also don't have a lot of, while I've interviewed the CEOs of every major company and done a ton of business stories, I've never started a business myself. So a friend of mine while I was surfing was like, hey, you should take this entrepreneurship course. It's run by the woman who runs entrepreneurship at UCSD. And I was like, I'm like, she's like, I think the, there's a session that starts now, today. So I literally got out of the water, called <laughs> Sylvia. She answered her cell phone in class. And she wow. said, we're starting our first session today. Shelby, you sound lovely. Come in. I'm like, I'm soaking wet from surfing. She's like, well, do you have a change of clothes? I was like, yeah. I mean, I have clothes, but I have salty hair. And she's like, it's okay. No worries. And I did this 12-week accelerator program. Yeah. And it was incredible. And it really helped me launch my podcast but launch it as a business to start. So having that business mindset from the get-go was very helpful because I knew I needed editing help and I had to pay someone like Harry (laughs) to edit my podcast. And to do that, I needed money to pay him. It's not like I'd saved you know, lots that much. I didn't didn't save that much money from my journalism (laughs) job. I'd saved a lot from my Vans job, my marketing job, but yeah, I'd figure it out. It was great. Is that inherent in you? Like, I, I, I sense this nature of just like, when you feel like you want to do something, you don't overthink it. You're just like, well, this seems like the right next step for me. So I'm just going to do it. Well, I'd like to say that. I'd say my inherent nature is to like overthink things, like go into yeah. like a deep depression because I haven't decided, ask a million people their opinion. And then eventually when the pain is too great to not do it, I, I get the courage and just go do it. I think I've like pivoted more towards what you're saying now. Like when I get, you know, I'm more methodical now about how I make my decisions. I say no more. I say yes to things that really matter and no to kind of everything else right now. But yeah, at the time, at the time it just felt right. Like I didn't totally know what else I was going to do. The journalism thing was just, it wasn't fulfilling me the way it had, but podcasting just, wow, it was, it was mind blowing. Like, I felt like I was friends with Tim Ferriss listening to his podcast. And I yeah, think yeah, yeah. people think they're friends with you when they listen to your podcast. And I, I like having more friends. Like, I'm all for it. So, obviously, we were helping you get the show launched for you while that is worth living. What were some of the things that were came easy for you in the beginning when you started the show? And then and what were some of the things that were challenging or you were surprised that you had to learn? Interviewing was easy. Getting guests, no problem. I think the just technical part of launching yeah. and all the little things you have to do, I was a little blown away by the details yeah. of it. The editing audio, that was a little challenging for me. And then also letting go. Like you were really good at coaching me to just like put it out there even if it wasn't perfect. And for so many years I'd been such a perfectionist and that was part of why I started a podcast. I'm like, hey, if I have to sh- put out a show every single week, I have to let go of being perfect because it's not going to be perfect and I have to be okay to fail. Like some shows are going to suck and that's okay because some people might like the shows that I think sucked. 
I get that all the time. People will be like, oh my God, I love this show. I'm like, I hated that show. But <laughs> well, you, gonna... It's funny because what you think is sometimes a good show for a certain reason, parts of it will resonate with a listener that totally. you know just picked out something in that person's life story or the way you were interviewing them. And it just, like as you know and can relate to it, it hit them at the right place at the right time. And, and it's the message they needed to hear. And you said something really magical to me in the beginning. You said, Shelby, there's this magic rule of seven. I think it's nine now. But if you get to seven shows, you're good to go. Pod fading, yeah. Pod fading. Mm-hmm. And those first three shows were really hard. And because I had taken that business accelerator course, on the last day of class, you have to present your product, whatever okay. that is, to a team of investors. Like literally investors came in from San Diego oh, wow. to our class, which was incredible. And I crushed it. I crushed my, because I had three. So for my product, I needed three podcasts already produced. And okay. Having a deadline like that really forced me to actually get the podcast off the ground because, you know, I, I, there was some serious skin in the game. Like there were actual people coming to see me and listen to my product. I had to have it ready. That was helpful. I, it was really hard to launch those first three shows, though. <laughs> I didn't know how much like the, But, you know, hiring a production company like yeah. Fullcast that did the music for me and everything else, that was pivotal. I, I couldn't have done that on my own. Yeah, I think what's important as entrepreneurs is one of the things my coach says is when, is when you're ready to grow, our impulse is to say, how do I do that? But the proper question to ask is who can help me do that? So it's instead of the how, it's the who. And I think because we get stuck, we think we can just do it all ourselves. And obviously, there's a, a money challenge there as you're growing. But when, if and when the time is right, the sooner you can get that help and get those tasks, that's not your genius, like off your plate, it sort of frees up this mental bandwidth like for you to think bigger things and like think about how else to grow the show so i'm wondering when did you start to see an inflection point because the show started picking up listeners and and getting more fans and i know it was a slow go in the beginning because you were just like how do we get more listeners how do we get more listeners but then it was i think you even told me you're like this is the fastest growth we've ever seen yeah. we had like seven thousand listeners yeah. per show kind of right away yeah it picked up nicely every week just stepped up massively. And I think one is I was smart in how I shared my podcast. Like one podcast really new in this space I was at. So people were like, whoa, you could have, you could be like Shelby and have a podcast. Like I was a little bit new. That was helpful. Two, I had pretty good connections in the outdoor and action sports industry. And one of my strengths was I could pitch sponsors and I could still Mm -hmm. pitch sponsors. And I just did custom deals with different brands I really liked and had a relationship with. And then I cold pitched a lot of people and they said yes because there was nothing else like that in the space Mm -hmm. and so i had brands share the podcast and i had guests share the podcast and my mom shared it in a newsletter i had no (laughs) idea my mom had like five thousand people on her newsletter list nice yeah it's like 74 year old mom crushing it (laughs) i was really anti-social media before starting a podcast i didn't like it i thought it was stupid i didn't want to be on it and i had to learn to embrace it so i hired someone to help me manage social media I ended up taking that back over myself because it's hard to find someone else who has your voice exactly in social yeah. media. So that's one thing like I have kind of hung on to. I'm sure I could have better social media if I hired someone, but that's just one part that I've hung on to. But yeah, everything, I don't know, everything with podcasting, just, I love it. So if there was a lot of things I didn't know. I think you helped me with. There was a lot of things I had to learn along the way. I think the equipment part was really daunting. Like yeah. now you can kind of walk into Best Buy and there's a podcast <laughs> section. I was I had to go get my phone fixed. Oh, really? And That's I was funny. like, what? 
you have a podcast section like before we were going to music stores and sourcing things on Amazon and nobody knew how to figure out podcast equipment. So now there's things like Squadcast. Like there's, it, it's so easy to do it now, which yeah. is great, but it's still hard. You still have to do it. When did you catch REI's attention and talk a little bit how that happened? Yeah. So, so at the very beginning, I had an outdoor based adventure show and yeah. I knew I wanted to gather sponsors right away that fit that show. And REI was at the top of my list. And Someone had told me, um, I ran into this guy at the grocery store who was the VP at an outdoor brand. He's like, Shelby, I just had dinner with the president of REI. You need to pitch them. They're doing this campaign called Force of Nature, targeting women in the outdoors. And I was like, I'm a woman. I'm like doing this <laughs> podcast about the outdoors. Check, check, check. Check. They're going to they're gonna love it. He's like, they're going to totally fund your show. So I found a contact at REI and was like, you know, gave him my pitch and kind of expected him to be like, yeah. And he's like... You seem really enthusiastic, Shelby, but no, we're not doing anything with podcasts. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, kind of like puppy between my legs, walked off. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, they said, no, I'm going to go pitch other sponsors. I had to like move quickly. Of so course, yeah. I let it go. And then six months later, I hired a guy to help me make the most badass pitch deck ever. So mm. I actually made it. And then he just like aligned it. So the pictures were like straight, <laughs> not very good with Photoshop and PowerPoint. So he helped me make this badass PowerPoint and I pitched all these brands and I was like, oh my God, REI. So I texted REI and I was like, hey, or I, I emailed them and I said, hey, you know, I'm getting ready for season two and finding sponsors. Do you guys think you want to be involved? Can I send you a pitch deck? And the guy wrote back right away. He'd been so hard to get a hold of. Like he'd literally wow. email me like every three weeks, every four weeks. Emailed within like a couple minutes and said, hey, Shelby, actually, we're really interested in the podcast space. Would you like to jump on a call today? And we jumped wow. on a call and REI was just playing with the podcast space. And we did a license. We ended up doing a licensing agreement for the next two years. They licensed the show. I still owned it. And then last year they were like, hey, uh, we want to buy your show. And I was like, mm. wait, really? Like, and <laughs> I went back to my business plan and at the top of my list, it said sell show to REI in three years. Wow. And that's I was so like, awesome. but I didn't want to sell it, Perry. I was yeah. like, this is my baby. I've spent the last two years like building it. It's your identity, like, especially when you grow something from like, you know, seed. Yeah. And just watch it flourish. You have a, you have a real connection to it. I have to be honest. Like, it's been the best thing I've done, like, selling <laughs> my podcast. One, because it freed up. It freed up some income so that I could like focus on what I wanted to do other than just podcasting. Yeah. It's stressful getting sponsors every week. And also, they've brought me guests that I never would have met, mm. which is so cool. Like this year, the show is so... So this year, they're picking all the guests. Okay. And you know, years past, I picked all the guests. And they're bringing me people that I think are so cool that I never would have met, that I never heard about. And it's just... Fun. It's a new experience. And I have a team. I really like working with a team. How fun is that? <laughs> yeah, it's great. I ended up starting a new podcast because I'm yeah. like, I'm going to want to start another baby. Yeah, yeah. And I've been really interested in health and wellness. Okay. And so I started a podcast called Vitamin Joy right in the middle of the pandemic because I was like, God, people need like health and bite-sized information, but they also need humor. Like we've lost our collective sense of humor as, as a country and as humanity. I mean, I, I just feel like laughter is, is, is really important medicine along with 
nutrition, sleep, everything else. So that's what I'm exploring in this new show. And it's, it's been fun to start a new show from the ground up. Did you notice as you, on Wild Ideas Worth Living, did your skills as a podcast host improve? Did you notice things you were doing differently over the course of the years? Yeah, I think prepping is like very important. Yeah. You know, people underestimate prepping and research. You know, there's like the Larry King way. Larry said that he never researched guests because... Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. I know. So sweet. It's sad that he died. Man, yeah. sucks. But he was such a great journalist and he... He, his approach was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present guests to people who've never heard of the, about them either. Yeah. And so I don't want to know too much about them either. I want to know what the average person knows about them. You know, I like to go a different route. I like to research the heck out of my guests because a lot of them aren't professional speakers or authors. Like, let's be honest. The best podcast guests, they're authors or professional speakers because they're either trying to sell their book and they've spent yeah, yeah, yeah. so much time researching something, they have a lot to say about it, or they've been paid to speak. Athletes aren't always the best podcast guests. <laughs> so sometimes I've had to train them and yeah. and that's okay. Or find, you know, I like to start interviews with where someone is really excited to talk about. And usually that's something, you know, and if they are a professional speaker or podcaster or author, I start with something that nobody asks them usually. And mm-hmm. that's usually pretty fun. Yeah, describe it sometimes as active listening. Like there's a conversation happening and as a host, you have to remember there's three people always in the room. There's the host, there's the guest and the listener. And if you forget that someone is listening to the conversation you and I are having now, you know, terminology, terms, keeping it engaging, you know, it's, it's something that's you always have to be doing consistently and always be curious as well. I think be curious about your guest and how they got to where they got to and, and sort of bring your listener along the journey. What tips have you been given to people? Because I'm sure you get asked a lot now, like, hey, Shelby, how do I conduct a, a really good interview? I mean, I finally started like a podcast course because Johnny was like, Shelby, you cannot go to coffee with someone for free again and help them with their podcast. Cause it was yeah. becoming like once I'm sure you get it. Like it was every day. Yeah. So I started this like podcast class called no BS podcasting to just get people started and growing without like the theory, just go. I don't know. I took so many podcast class and a lot of them aren't successful podcasters. So, I'm like, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. You can hit friend of Shelby for 50% off. If you've listened to this podcast, by the way, friend of Shelby, just go to shelbystanger.com slash courses. So yeah, we'll put them I'd in the show notes as well. Your nice plug, huh? So advice and tips just on interviewing or everything? Yeah, interviewing, yeah. Because you, you do a really good job of it. You've had a lot of experience. You, you started out in journalism. So I think there's a, a lot of, you know, what you've learned, what, what to do, what not to do to engage with your guest. I think you should talk to people about what they want to talk about. Mm. You know, that's helpful. If they don't want to talk about it, I mean, it's a, a podcast is a mutual agreement. You know, two people are in the conversation and I think you just have to be aware of that. They're giving you your time. So you have to be really respectful of that and find out what they're excited about. I like to ask my guests stories because I think stories illustrate points a lot. And if I can, I'm really lucky I edit my podcast. So if we mess up, we can go back and cut stuff. And I tell guests that in the beginning and that relaxes them so much. And I think that's kind of an advantage of not having a, a live podcast. Yeah. Although there's disadvantage, there's advantages and disadvantages of both. And then I just try to keep it fun. Like if I could, I would take, you know, my dream would be we would go surfing with all my guests and then we would podcast. And I've been able to do that with probably 
a dozen of my guests. I think I remember an early one because you had the Zoom recorder yeah. and you did it in a van or something like that. I, I did one in a van. <laughs> yeah, I went I went camping and I lived in someone's like van and they had a van rental company. They they let us stay yeah. in it for a night and we interviewed them in a van. Yeah, I remember that. I've done podcasts at the beach, which yeah. is great. The Zoom it's so is... fun. I love the ambient sound stuff. Like when you can bring in like what's happening outside, people feel like they're there with you because they hear the sounds and birds chirping. And sometimes like because this is a podcast or I interview podcasters, if there's a mistake or dog barking, like I leave it in because I'm yeah. just like, look, that's what podcasters have to deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. Oh my God, last night I interviewed this guy who is the most beautiful man and he has been through so much. He lost his wife in an avalanche while they were skiing together. And as he was telling Whoa. me this story and starts crying, by the way, this amazing mountain man is like mm-hmm. crying on the podcast. We're on Squadcast. My freaking fire alarm starts and i was like i didn't even know we had a fire of course we have a smoke detector fire alarm in the house all houses do but i'd never heard mine yeah and i guess like the battery just decided to die last night at that time and it was so (laughs) funny that we both just started laughing which was kind of nice because like he'd been crying and then we started laughing but yeah i think i think i'll ask my editors to leave it in i'm like honey can you please go see what that is so johnny had to like take my husband tried to take the fire extinguisher or the fire alarm yeah. off and he threw it underneath like a mattress so that because we couldn't figure out how to turn it <laughs> oh, off. Oh yeah, because the battery if it, yeah. if it actually if the battery's out it beeps it's just it, you know it's you supposed can't, to do like, that. Unplug yeah. it. So yeah. it was crazy. Anyways. Have you released that episode yet? No, it we literally did the interview yesterday. I'll let you know if we can find it. What you can do is take that part and start the interview with that. So, so it's kind of, or just do it as an outtake at the end. <laughs> you know, people do like outtakes at the end, which is fun I would too. like that. Yeah. I, we do outtakes at the end of the year yeah. with Wild Ideas Worth Living and Vitamin Joy. They collected like all the times I messed up and saved them in a file. <laughs> and just, how, how fun is it to be working with a production team? It's so nice. I mean, it is so nice. I can't yeah. even tell you. And I have a producer now for Vitamin Joy too. That's nice. great. Very cool. There's and, a, po- a podcast called Maine that like, really grooms great editors oh what is it i don't know what it's called but it's like some audio school out of maine oh well my friend has one as well but i don't think it's from maine podcast engineering school chris curran it's like it's an audio school it's like okay. literally like Very a cool. accreditation and you i don't know if you can hire someone who's also a journalist like for me the writing mm. is really remember i was always like kind of anal on the writing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me hiring a journalist that helps with writing is helpful because yeah. I'm a bit picky. I also learned that show notes really don't matter yeah. as much as you think they do. Yeah, it depends. I think for people, totally depends. It, it depends what type of show it is. If it's exactly. more business related, for some clients, we actually take the transcription and turn it into like a almost like a white paper PDF format. Oh, that's because awesome. For an older demographic, yep. like coming from corporate, they're used to like these like formal like transcription, like they can read. And so like, I think I find sometimes with like, demographics like in their 50s and 60s they, they actually like reading totally. and reading the content so but i was like i look at joe rogan like he doesn't have show notes yeah you know mark <laughs> baron doesn't have show notes yeah. it just depends what you're going for yeah and if you do do show notes be strategic about them like you know use them for what you need to use them for like maybe they're extra content for your blog maybe if you have an adventure podcast use the content and syndicate it to other adventure yeah. magazines and then yeah. they can use it as an article can you talk a little bit about coming back to the sponsorship? Because I know that's something that's that was, you're, you did a really good job at. So for people that are getting started, I coach them on making sure, first of all, the podcast is something that would be of interest to sponsors. That's like number one. And so like, I think people try to have general podcasts and they're wondering like, 
after like three months and they've got 40 downloads per episode like where are the sponsors and i'm just like a sponsor's not interested in your show i'm sorry to tell you so yeah i'd love for you to just kind of talk about a little a little bit well i think you kind of hit it on the you know hit it on the head like first thing is you make sure your podcast is niche and services it's not about you it's about your sponsor like yeah. how can your show help your sponsor yeah it's not how your sponsor can help you even though they will help you you want to help them yeah. And that's like the number one first step. How can you help them? So I have a podcast, a new podcast about health. And I actually got approached by a magazine that I really love that was like, hey, we have this product that's really cool. We want to pay you to do some travel segments in it. And I was like, yeah, that, that kind of like works with Vitamin Joy. What's the company? They told me the name of the company. I'd never heard of it. Googled it. And I was like, okay, it's either like vehicle company or maybe it's something else. And then it's like a nicotine company at the end of the day. <laughs> And I was like, you guys, I can't. Wow. It was a lot of money. Like yeah. I could have paid for everything for the year. Yeah. But I have a health podcast. So like I can't be sponsored by a nicotine company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I would have been sponsored by a magazine and doing a partnership with a nicotine company, I like inherently had to say no. So first you have to decide what sponsors are you willing to have on your podcast and what do you want to, you know, what do you want to promote? Some people are cool, you know, with anything, Viagra ads, nicotine, yeah, yeah. alcohol. I'm yeah. not. But if you can, if you're okay promoting anything, great. For my health show, I've just kind of identified like, what do I eat? What do I drink? Mm -hmm. What do I wear? What do I like? What brings me joy? And what company can I help reach a demographic that I also reach? So for REI, I knew they wanted to reach more women in the outdoors. And I had this like giant Rolodex of people I'd already interviewed, relationships from the outdoor industry, tons of friends tons of contacts, tons of like direct listeners already. And I had been a reporter in the action sports industry. So the CEOs of all the major companies read my stuff and were on my email newsletter list. Mm. So that was beneficial to a lot of people initially. You gave me really good advice. You said, hey, when you're pitching sponsors, especially sponsors who at the time didn't know about podcasting, give them a sample ad read. So I would record sample ad reads and send them to sponsors with my pitch. Now, I think it's important to have some sort of media kit, whether yeah. it's a page on your website or just a website, a one like an Instagram, like something that shows that you're a professional, serious about podcasting, and then create some sort of pricing for them. You know, when you're brand new and starting out, so that van company that I told you about, yeah, they're like, hey, Shelby, we bought a package of sponsors on this, on this podcast show. I was like, really, would you pay? And they're like, we paid $100 for 10 ads. And I was like, that's awesome. Awesome. So there was a company that started out and they're going after van lifers. So they they reached out to van companies and they're just charging them something that's so easy so that they can have sponsors, 10 bucks an ad. Kudos to the podcast to just saying, hey, look, we'd rather get something than nothing. It gets us into the, the practice of like doing an ad read. I tell business clients when we launch, start with a sponsor and the sponsor is you and your business. Like this ad is brought to you by my company, by my coaching course, by my, you know, by my training program. Just so you as a host, because, you know, like you have to you have to be comfortable doing an ad read, like eat, saying the words and doing it week over week. And then if you have a small amount of numbers, listeners on your show, and you're going after big companies that only pay you based on a CPM, which is the cost per thousand, mil is thousand listeners, you're not going to make a lot of money if you have over under 10,000 listeners a show. So it's better to create, if you need to make money off of sponsorship, first of all, the best thing to do is to have your own thing that you're selling, your own product, like a podcast course or... 
if I was smart, I'd have like a health course that I sold through Vitamin Joy. I don't right now because I'm doing some other things, but you know, that's what a lot of people <laughs> Lots do. Lots of irons in the and, fire. <laughs> yeah, but if, if that's what I wanted to do to make money, that's what I would do. So there's a lot of ways to do it. The first is have your own product. The second is is make it so that it's mutually beneficial for the other party. So if your podcast doesn't have a lot of listeners, maybe your Instagram has a big reach. So maybe you also do social posts. Maybe you give them content. Maybe you give them access to one of your guests. Maybe you do a live Instagram with them. There's other Mm. things you can do to be a good partner to your sponsor, but over deliver to your sponsors because they pay you. And also know that a sponsor can cut you at any time. So like if you're reliant on sponsorships, that's on you. Yeah. Like their businesses, they've got their own agendas and it's, you know, they love you. They might love you, but like if a pandemic happens, they have to switch their budgets to other avenues and a podcast might not be one of the avenues they're supporting at that point. Same time, podcasts are really hot right now. So yeah, it's this idea of, I call it the platform approach as opposed to the download approach where you're saying, because the download numbers are not going to be impressive. You're not going to be wowing people with your download numbers early on. But if you say to your point, you know, I've got tens of thousands of Instagram followers or huge Twitter following, like paint all those numbers together, pull them all together. And most people, if you start adding all those things, website visitors, email list, like you'll get into the thousands, tens of thousands. And that's like, this is like, this is my platform. And then what you promise and you over deliver is like, not only are you going to get the ad rate, but you'll get the mention on Twitter. You'll get the mention on Instagram. You'll get the mention in my newsletter. And that's what we do. I started a new podcast in the vertical farming industry, like just because it was, I was curious about the topic and I started interviewing founders and CEOs and cool. I, and I got a sponsor before I even launched this show. <laughs> they paid for the whole season, like 13 episodes. And it was just like, oh, I was just an aha moment. Like it's so niche, like, and they want niche audiences. And then we subsequently got one for, for season two now. Yeah, exactly that. So like if you can have a niche podcast, let's say you're a mom and you have a podcast about newborns, yeah, you have such an opportunity to go after products that help moms with newborns Yeah, because that's such a critical you probably, time you probably in people's go even, life. You probably could go even more niche than that. You yeah. Know, newborns with specific conditions or yeah. like, yeah, I, I think it'd be definitely helpful. Agree. And everybody has something that they're an expert at talking about. So that's the other thing is like the imposter syndrome. I think that's something that I teach. I would say I spend a lot of time like you do helping people get over imposter syndrome with the podcast. You know, I had a ton of journalism experience, a ton of marketing experience, a ton of experience in action sports. And yet there was a time when I started where I still didn't feel like I was qualified to be a podcaster like Tim Ferriss or Rich Roll. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like I'm just as qualified, if not more than them. I have more journalism experience than both of them. So you have to get over your own imposter syndrome because you're an expert in something. Have you connected with Rich Roll yet? No, but I'm buddies with his agent. <laughs> his gonna... agent and I talk every day. He's great. I feel like that's happening soon. And I'm definitely looking forward to that conversation. You're sweet. His agent and I, like, he's been really actually helpful to me in podcasting and his agent also reps Stevo, who's like really funny. Stevo is the guy from Jackass. Okay. An incredible podcast called Oh really? Something with Wild, like Wild Ride. Okay. Yeah. So what's oh man, that this time flies by so much, I feel like because you Sorry. know what, what, what no, it's just I think what's interesting about podcasting uh, when you have your own show, and I've had this one since twenty fourteen, it's a mix now of like an opportunity to catch up with my podcasting friends and people that I haven't seen like you, like a, you know, like a dear friend that I 
this and just chatting with like that's what was fun about setting up the show with you we got to talk more frequently and so like the mix now for me is like who do i want to continue relationships with and, and still talk to in and then record a podcast and then who are some new people in the podcasting space that i want to meet and i think that's the beauty of podcasting now it's just it's my extended family <laughs> and especially during covid it's like my opportunity to like you know chat with my friends from around the world it was so cool reading the new york times about during the pandemic and there was an article about podcasting and they're yeah. like interviewing or they're mentioning you and your podcast it was that so was cool. crazy i, I was pumped <laughs> yeah i was at a coaching event with my coach taki from black belt and it was in the newspaper and they mentioned podcast junk and i was like blown away because i was just like i was trying to share i, I think I, I grabbed two copies of it because i ran down to the lobby because it was like no tell it's one of those moments when you're like uh you know, start, you know, you know, stargazing or whatever you want to call it. Like, I was like, this is cool. Cool moment in podcasting. Having a coach is really cool. I think that's really cool yeah. that you have a coach. Yeah. Have you worked with one before? You, you're like the closest to a coach <laughs> I've had. Tons of soccer coaches, tons of yeah, yeah. different types. But of even that, like all those types of coaches, like they help you get to the next level to a place that you can get there on your own but having a like a coach to just show you the mistakes they've made and that's when like i always tell people who are like a little apprehensive about coaching people i'm like you don't need to get them to like like the mecca or the holy grail you just need to get them like one step further than where they are and then as you grow you're just gonna reach back on the stairs and pull them up to that one step that you were just on and just that's all you need to do like you don't need to like be the super coach for them they just need like help getting you to that one step that then you have the information because you've been there before people have been asking me to do coaching for them and i'm always like ah oh, i'm not a coach i've never taken a coaching course <laughs> They just need to have you hold their hand. I got a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? What's something I've changed my mind about recently? I'm just trying not to be judgmental of people mm. during this pandemic. Like, mm. Interesting. I have very different views of, you know, like wearing a mask and like, yeah. than other people. Like I wear one and some people don't. And well, I guess I haven't changed my view on that. Just everybody's approach to like what they think is safe is really different. And I'm yeah. just, I'm trying to be as safe as I can not get it, not spread it. But I think I'm just trying not to be super judgmental on other people because you know, businesses are affected. People's parents yeah. are dying. Like yeah. it's a very confusing time. So I'm just trying to change my mind on not being judgmental and just trying to be kind to everybody. I guess that's the biggest thing. It's interesting because it's almost like what happens at Thanksgiving when you're like extended family and now you start to see everyone's political views and religious views. And it's just like the three topics you don't talk about at Thanksgiving is like politics, religion, and sex, right? Or money. Yeah, your money. And I think... We talk about sex at our dinner table. <laughs> you got to invite me to one of your Thanksgivings then. It's fun. <laughs> but it's it's highlighted like people that you didn't think had differing opinions about something that's so basic, like, you know, just common decency or just like not losing your shit in public or just like caring for the other people by not spreading like a virus it's but people are taking weird stands on this sort of stuff and I, I don't i'm not even on facebook anymore because it's just just got so bananas i just like don't even engage there as well just it's been interesting to watch i'm also even more proactive these days about you know showcasing people on my shows and hiring people that i think are underrepresented yeah, yeah than yeah. i was before so it's not like i've changed my mind on it i'm just more cognizant it. of it Very just cool. more like trying to do it like yeah 
which has been really cool. And I've interviewed uh, just people I've never would have met before. So it's been really cool. Yeah, it's having conversations with people who have lived a different life than you. And then, because normally we tend to gravitate towards people that are look like us or have the same background as us and we're in the same industry as us, whatever you want to call it, or same hobbies as us. But then when we start to talk to people that, like, we have no idea, like, what they're, what it was like growing up, where they grew up or how they grew up or, and when you talk to them, it really opens your your mind and I think just brings us all closer together as humans and people. And I think I, kudos to you for doing that because I think more people should be doing that. Thanks. Well, I like doing it, so it's fun. What's uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? Oh, people think I'm so mellow, like <laughs> laid back surfer. I'm not. I mean, I am, but I'm also not, yeah. me- you know, I'm, I'm mellow and laid back, but I'm like, I think, I think especially guys that would date me at first would be like, oh, she's like so chill. Surfer chick, yeah. No. Well, Shelby, this hour flew by. Uh, it's so nice to see your face. Oh, so nice to see you. Such an honor. Yeah. And uh, so what's next for you? Like, what are you working on? What projects are you coming on? I want to send more people your way. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. I'm really into this. So Wild Ideas Worth Living is awesome. And it's kind of on autopilot yeah. right now. I'm really interested in this new concept, Vitamin Joy, which yeah. is doses of joy and health you know, every other week. But <laughs> I'm interviewing really interesting people about, you know, how to sleep better, how to give up caffeine, mm. how to be sober, even if you're not an alcoholic, how to have more humor in your life. That's been really fun and different. And I'm interviewing like the guy from Bulletproof Coffee. I've got Steve oh, Kotler yeah. coming on. I have oh, some nice. decent guests coming on Those are good. next year. Yeah, I haven't started it. So that's kind of what I'm working on. And then I have some other projects in the work that I can't yet talk about but like i hope they happen and then yeah. you know i'm, I'm going to be launching a course on pitching because so many people okay. are like how do you pitch how do you pitch sponsors yeah. i think we just need to teach people how to pitch and that's something i've had to do as a journalist for freelance since i was 16 so yeah it's something i do feel confident about and you know we all have to pitch ourselves these days if you live in the united states where if you're an entrepreneur it's or a good skill have Important a side skill. hustle yeah you got to pitch your ideas yeah and yeah that's it and just I've been spending a lot of time with family. Like it's been really the highlight of the pandemic for me is like every morning, my sister and my mom and I FaceTime and we never did that before. And it's just so fun. So I've missed my friends, but one good thing is I've gotten really close to family and then just reaching out to friends who are single. Yeah, I think that's important. I have a lot of friends who are single and I just, I'm not, I'm in a really lucky, fortunate position with family and a, guy I love and I live on the beach and I have neighbors and little kids running around at mm, all times. That's nice. It's awesome. But there's a lot of people lonely. Yeah. So I'm trying to be of service to others. Very cool. Well, that's because you're such a big hearted person. And that's oh, why I love sweet. you because you're awesome. <laughs> well, I miss you, Harry. It's miss so good to too. see you. I'm going to send more people your way because you are the man and Thank you're you. a really good podcast coach. Thank you so much. Where's the best place for folks to connect with you? If Just you go to shelbystanger.com okay. or I'm on Instagram at shelbystanger. I'm on the other channels, but I'm not really there. So okay. basically Instagram at shelbystanger or shelbystanger.com. It's like stranger, but without the extra R. Stanger <laughs> rhymes with banger. <laughs> Thanks hey. again. Thanks again, Shelby. Thanks to Shelby for coming on the show. Always appreciated, and especially when I have the opportunity to connect and spend time with friends whose company and energy I really enjoy. 
Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 252 and show outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, Focusrite and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Focusrite Scarlet 2i2 Pro. Learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Nitel Perek, founder, CEO, and director of programs at Innovate Social. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Surf with Shelby. You can tag her at Shelby Podcasts and tag me at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.